Hello and welcome back to the Palace Way podcast. Today I'm joined by Edmund Brack, the reporter for Crystal Palace and Wimbledon for the South London Press. But today we're going to be covering um, the recent Arsenal home game, um, which there was plenty of controversy to discuss. Uh, the transfer window so far covering things such as transfer, Lewis Hall, the Elise contract situation and rumours linking us to Dean Henderson as well as being a football journalist in the current climate, sources, what you can report, uh, and what it's like being a so-called ITK on Palace Twitter. How are you doing, Edmund? Uh, I'm very well, thank you, Bruno. A real pleasure to be on. Thanks for asking me to come on. Yeah, of course, man. I mean, uh, anyone who's been in the Palace community over the last couple of years will have heard your name. Um, you... uh, it's, very, it's very kind of you. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're doing very well well for yourself, mate. If I'm not mistaken, got a little shout out from Fabrizio Romano himself in the in the last couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been it's been pretty crazy. I can't lie. It's um, it's surreal at times. It's uh, it's nice, obviously, to get recognised. But yeah, just uh guess to, to quote Roy Keane, just doing my job. So it's not, uh, uh, yeah, it's just sort of those, don't, don't let it get to your head too much. But it's lovely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really nice to hear. Yeah, well, you know, um, it's kind of something I'd love to do in the future going into football journalism, um, which, you know, being on the younger side of the spectrum, it's not something I've been able to properly get into yet. So I've, you know, started the Palace way to work towards that. But the position you're in is somewhere I would absolutely love to uh, be in, five years in the future um so yeah it's an inspiration to anyone who's looking to get into that line of work um so i'll just dive right into it um arsenal at home what was your take on the performance well leaving selhurst park yesterday i think the, the main the main thought was was one of overwhelming frustration um you know arsenal arsenal are going to be a team that's pushing towards the top end of the table and mm. to be honest <laughs> okay, they had their moments in the first half, and Enketia probably should have done a little bit better with one of the chances that he had. But I don't think there was a there was a whole host of difference between the two teams. And this is a Crystal Palace side that's lost the talisman for the past decade and a, and a bit. So when they go down to ten men, that sort of brought us back into the game a little bit. You you got a renewed sense of optimism, but you turn to the bench and see two two young attackers who who should be out on loan, who should be preparing for their second, basically, full season in, in men's football, not in the Premier League. And and you kind of start to think that that, that Palace are pretty unprepared. There isn't, the squad, the squad isn't where it needs to be. Um, mm. you know, it was a great win against Sheffield United and, and we're going to beat those types of teams because our starting eleven is a very stable, solid Premier League eleven, But against the top teams and against the teams chasing for Europe, we need that little bit of magic to come off the bench when it's a tight game and, and nick a 1-0 or nick a point here and there. Palace don't have that at the moment. And 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 that was the main sort of takeaway from last night was that, that the squad is paper thin and it needs reinforcements in these final few days of the summer transfer window. Yeah, you're spot on. It was, a, I'm going to say, a typical Roy Hodgson performance against the bigger side in that we were very much looking to hit them on the break um up until the red card and we didn't really build anything for ourselves i'd say in the sort of second part of the first half especially we looked to have a bit of bite to us um mm. but, and we sort of grew into the game after the red card of course um but it was evident that we didn't really have the attacking talent to break down you know such a low block of so many high quality players 
um, you know, you've got Saka as a forward who came through the Arsenal Academy as a wing back. Um, players such as Saliba in there. They were able to sub on Zinchenko um, and Gabriel. You know, these are top level Premier League international players. Um, and we were only able to substitute on uh, 20-year-old Jesmond Raksaki making his third appearance for us in the Premier League. Uh, and now Rahamada, who is yet to start for us uh, in competitive football. So, yeah, our squad is paper thin. Um, and we were kind of lucky against Sheffield United in the fact that they are also have an incredibly thin squad. They had multiple academy prospects on the bench. Um, and we were able to get the upper hand on them. But, you know, in the game against Arsenal, we had one less player on the bench than them. Obviously, uh, the Pachente Guaita situation comes into account um, with him refusing to play for the club, according to Roy Hodgson. But, you know, John Kamani Gordon, Jesmyn Raksaki, we've got players who I don't think under any circumstances would really start under Roy Hodgson yet, especially not uh, Gordon. So our bench right now is what it's forced to be rather than something that um, you look to in order to make substitutions. It's kind of just there for the sake of it because Roy won't make any changes, right? He's made one change at Sheffield and two yesterday. So yeah. Uh, in, 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 term, in terms of saying about the Roy won't, Roy won't make changes last night, he, he did go for it, you know, subbing off Joel Ward and bringing on Jezreel. Yeah. Saki was, was something I never saw happening on my bingo card, but in terms of the the one the, the one in four sub that he had to make at Sheffield United, I thought we were pretty pretty in control of, of the majority of the game. I don't think he needed to change anything at all, really, to, to go for it. I mean, you, you said it was kind of lucky, but you know, two or two or what two goals we had chalked off for offside, and on another day we put a couple more of those those chances yeah. away. I'm, we 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 were lucky in some respect that Sheffield United are, are nowhere near a Premier League squad whatsoever, but you just got to beat what, what's in front of you. And I think Palace arguably could have walked away with a two, three or four nil on that day. If they were, if they were playing with it, with uh, the sort of verve that they played against Leeds towards the end of last season. But mm. um, in, in terms of yesterday, it was, uh, it's frustration because you know, the season doesn't start in September when the transfer window closed. It, it starts in August and Palace have felt underprepared because the squad isn't, isn't ready yet to compete at this level. Um, and when you're saying that you want to push the club, into the top half of the Premier League, you're going to need better players and more established players in this division than John Kamani Gordon and Jezero and Raksaki to, to push you into that top 10. Yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned um, sort of the next level, putting it in Parrish's words. Um, you know, I think we expected after Vieira's first season um, to build on what was an incredibly successful um, year for the club with the FA Cup mm. semi-final um, and the most exciting football I think we've ever played in the Premier League. Um, but there wasn't as much optimism um, or happiness about the transfer window a year ago uh, as there had been the year before. And that was kind of met on the pitch. I thought it was a underwhelming season under Vieira. And it's that feeling again, if not worse now, um, you think with... Now, I'm fully in support of Roy Hodgson's reappointment. I think he did an excellent job with the squad last season, and he is exactly the person we need at this current moment in time. Um, but looking at the bigger picture, we had a project that we've now effectively abandoned 
in terms of the Vieira managership. Um, and I have my own reservations about whether or not um, Roy Hodgson is a project manager to the point where he will bring in or rather um, inspire players to want to join the club. Because, you know, Parrish has come out and said we're looking to get two or so deals done this week. Um, I think Carl, Calcio Carl, has said we're looking for about four in total. So we need the numbers. Our bench and our performance showed that. We had very little going forward. Um, and obviously Elise will come back and Franca will come in. But you still want a little bit more reinforcement-wise with the Teta rumoured to leave. So, yeah, I guess I'm a little bit concerned about whether or not Roy Hodgson is the most... Um, if he has the pull um, that we saw from Patrick Vieira to bring in players, because Palace was previously like an exciting project that you wanted to be a part of. And now I feel we're dropping a little bit away from that, maybe back towards just a mid-table team with a few cool players. And yeah, it worries me. It worries me. What do you think? Football football isn't really like that. I, I wouldn't say. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to kind of get an understanding of, of the players, what they like, what they don't like. I mean, these these this group of players love playing under Roy Hodgson. That's and they didn't enjoy it under Patrick Vieira and in his coaching staff towards the end of his tenure. Um, yeah. In terms of saying that maybe Roy Hodgson doesn't necessarily have have the pool that that Patrick Vieira did. Um, I mean, Roy Hodgson's managed England and managed Liverpool and coached in the Premier League for a number of years. I'm sure. If they spoke to someone in the squad, they'd be they'd be more than able to mm. convince them that playing under Roy Hodgson for a season would be would be fine. Um, I understand what you mean about that. Maybe the the there's a lack of a project, but when you're a club in the Premier League who are looking to either break into the top ten, looking to secure another mid-table finish, you know a, pro- a project is only as good as the number of wins you pick up. If if you saw with Patrick Vieira's project, as soon as mm. things started to go wrong, there was no there was no um, Kind of well, he yeah. got a little longer than most Premier League managers, but as soon as things started to go wrong, he was sacked. Um, projects don't really get time to develop in the Premier League, and if you're doing well in your project, say if Patrick Vieira was winning every game, the, the project would have ended because he would have been poached and taken by a bigger football club. Um, the project is done in the boardroom with the sporting director and, and the players that you managed to bring in. If you look at Brighton and the way that they can just produce these players from nowhere, season after season. You know, I, I I'd probably say that it doesn't even matter who the coach is. They could, the Zerbi could go and they'd find another one because they're just ready constantly. It's mm. about having the, the foresight to understand that, that, you know, Crystal Palace, if we're not going to have much money to spend in the summer window, we need to go out and get these free agents that are available. Jonathan Bamba, Dharma Traore, um, you know, Raul Jimenez for, for five million or however much Fulham got him for. He's a experienced Premier League player who's going to supplement our bench yeah. um, and, and that's that's basically I think the, the nitty gritty of how it all boils down to is are you, are you planned uh, and do you have you know, enough structure in your side to go and attack the Premier League and at the moment Palace don't have enough structure in, in their in their squad. I really like how you pointed out um, that Roy Hodgson is not exactly a uh, deterring factor uh, at Crystal no, Palace. No. And obviously we've heard that he's extremely well liked by the players, which is um, something that would absolutely help with that. Um, and I want to just go a little bit deeper into sort of the idea of not having the um, ability to like look ahead. And we, I think we've talked in the podcast before about um, sort of the proactivity versus um, being reactive. 
um, mm. that you sort of see um, a difference in between clubs. Obviously, Brighton, like you said, have a replacement lined up straight away. I think they're linked with like four different players about to sign at the moment in light of Caicedo's departure. Um, and that's something we've sort of consistently struggled with. Um, so I just want to get your take on that. Do you think that's down to the way we're run? Is it to do with funds? What What's your sort of opinion on why the club is slower to um, act on these things compared to our rivals? Uh, oh, it's a tough one. I'm not necessarily sure you can pinpoint it to, to one exact reason as to why Crystal Palace maybe sometimes are, are slow to act on things. Maybe it's a it's a multitude of, of people who are the, the decision makers and maybe they no, don't necessarily agree on everything. Uh, I think that's probably one of the one of the downsides to having quite a few owners and obviously the sporting director's got to say who he wants to bring in as well. There always has mm. to be an agreement on it. Um, but I think as we've seen, you know, Roy Hodgson's probably never going to have watched Mateus Francia play football before. He's obviously already been shown clips, but if Palace are saying they're signing Mateus Francia, Roy Hodgson pretty, probably doesn't have a, a say in that. Um, yeah. And once he sees him on the training pitch, I'm sure the club are convinced enough that that once he sees him, he will start to be integrated into our squad. Um, mm. I think what, what Roy's shown is that if you're good enough, you will play. Um, if you look at the likes of Max Meyer and Victor Camarasa, you know, Max Meyer plays for, I think it's Luzerne in, in Switzerland. And then Victor mm. Camarasa plays for Real Oviedo in the Spanish second division. So that, they were they weren't good enough players, hence why they didn't play in our in our Premier League side. But in in terms of to your original question about why Crystal Palace are maybe slow to react on things, sometimes it's uh, it's one I've probably never been able to to find a true answer on. Uh, it's frustrating, mm-hmm. especially when you see the likes of Villa. So what was it? Emi Buendia got the ACL injury, I think, and then within a couple of days they're finalising a deal to sign is it Zaniolo from from yeah. Galatasaray. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's frustrating. Um, maybe it's due to a, a, a lack of funds, and with the main standard as well, you know, perhaps you you might have to uh, offset a, a, a multitude of, of transfer activity in, in order to to get that done. But um, as I mentioned, when you if you haven't got the funds to do it, you've got to go out and get free agents. You've got to go out and and add to your squad. Otherwise, you end up with a situation like you did last night, and you're dropping points in the Premier League when in the early stages of the season when they're so crucial. So, yeah, yeah it's, um, you hope one day that the, whether it's the ownership structure or however it's all put together comes, comes to the forefront and, and they work out the best way to do it. Yeah. I mean, I have absolutely full faith in Dougie Freeman when it comes to finding the right players for us. Jefferson Lerma already looks to be an excellent signing on a free. Um, yeah. And if we aren't looking at more free agents, there'll be a very good reason for that, whether it be quality or personality or fit. Um, the Athletic published an article um, a week or so ago uh, profiling Dougie Friedman and how he goes about recruiting, the 39 questions um, model and uh, stuff. And I think we're very meticulous with who we sign, um, especially in recent years. You can tell with how well gelled the squad is, right? The relationship between... Uh, Mark Gahan, Joachim Anderson is extremely um, well known by fans of the club. Um, it's yeah. at the heart of the team. Um, all the players just seem to mesh together. Even those who seem on the more antisocial side of the spectrum get along really well um, with uh, the players in the squad. You know, there's a place for Hughes, there's a place for Elise, there's a place for Eze, there's a place for everyone. 
Um, and I think the club is a happy place to be uh, in terms of dressing room from an outside looking uh, in point of view. Um, let's just return back to the Arsenal game uh, and talk about the refereeing, because I know it's a sort of a hot topic, um, sort of VAR and PG Mole and all the changes going on there in the world of Premier League football. Um, let's start with the red card. What were your thoughts on Tomiyasu sending off? Uh, I'm probably asking for it to be fair. If you if you get the first yellow for tie wasting, you've got to be a little bit more mm. uh, clever, let's say, with your with your decision making. And when Jordan Ayew's burst past you, you don't give him any reason to go down because Jordan Ayew might be the smartest uh, footballer I've seen at winning clever free tick free kicks in this division. So uh, I'm not, I'm I'm sure if I was if it was a Crystal Palace player, I'd be I'd probably be incensed at the time, but. It's the way the rules have changed, so I'm sure I'm sure Arsenal were fuming. I'm sure Arteta was fuming, but uh, it's just it's just the way it goes. Unfortunately, I'm sure it's going to happen to Crystal Palace at some stage over this season, where we'll be uh, we'll be talking for days about a contentious red card decision that, that might have cost us a few points. But um, yeah, it's it's, it's 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 strange, really. I don't I don't really like blaming or sort of putting any emphasis on the game on on this on things you can't control, like refereeing decisions, VAR. They're just they're just, they're just going to happen, aren't they? I think over the course of the season, they'll, they'll even themselves out eventually. Yeah, I think you're right uh, in that they even themselves out over the season. Uh, fans obviously will feel aggrieved. Um, going for myself, I'd say it was probably harsh on Tomiyasu, that second yellow, especially with you know what Jordan Ayew was getting away with as well in that game <laughs> when he was on a yellow too. Um, and it probably cancelled out with us not getting a penalty, I think, as a deserved a penalty ready for that um sort of but he's also running between two players which has always been a contentious uh issue in football um no debate for me over arsenal's pen either but yeah looking at it from a perspective of how var is used um what's your like opinion on the rule that you can not check for a second yellow because it still has a huge effect on the game and there can still be a clear and obvious error there, in my opinion. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think you should probably be able to check for it. If you can check for everything else, then I'm not sure why that isn't isn't yeah. one that can be can be ruled out as well. I watch a lot of EFL football for, for work. Obviously, I cover Wimbledon as well. So you kind of forget when you're there that, that, that you know, I see things sometimes I think oh, that you'd never get away with that in the Premier League, like someone gets dragged off the ball when the referee's not looking or or something along those lines. But it's uh, it's funny in the Premier League, everything's sort of scrutinised. So, yeah, I, when you're talking about uh, checking second yellow cards for decisions that are going to affect games, yeah, absolutely, um, VAR should be should be having a look at that because, as I've just mentioned, every single thing is scrutinised in this division. It's the... It's the biggest footballing league in the world that you know you can't have. It's like the um, who who was the game between? I think it was Aston Villa and was it Sheffield United when the ball yeah. first game back after lockdown when the ball went over the the line and VAR couldn't check that just the goal line technology wasn't working. It's uh, you know, these are decisions that have huge financial impacts on football clubs. So yeah, yeah they should absolutely be able to check it. Yeah, um, that decision still boggles my mind completely especially when you see you know the force that Villa have become now you know a model club really to look to but 
yet again, Villa have always kind of carried the hype behind them and never quite met it. Um, you know, people were predicting them for Europe at the start of last season before it all um, fell apart a bit under Gerrard and the season before that as well. So, you know, it's it's really hard to predict things in football. Um, I guess that's one of the reasons why our project didn't work out the way it did, like you were saying. Um, you were spot on as well about, you know, it was going to end with Vieira leaving either way. Um, mm. Not dissimilar um, to the Elise situation, right? He has, in an incredible turn of events that completely blew my mind, signed um, a new deal at Crystal Palace, four years, which I think is a, an additional year on his current um, yeah. agreement. Um, huge increase in wages, um, shrugged off the Chelsea interest. Uh, obviously, will end up leaving the club at some point. His ambition is to play Champions League football, but to keep him for another season and to very well increase um, the amount of money we'd lose him for is a complete victory for the club. So, yeah, how how are you thinking about the Elisa situation? It's the best possible outcome you think think of, isn't it? I mean, it, if you lost Wilfred Zaha and Michael Elise in the, in the same transfer window, I think we'd all be just pretty distraught right now. Yeah. Uh, thinking about what the prospects held for us. I mean, he is an unbelievable footballer. I was talking last week about him. I think his left foot was probably one of the best in the game right now. He mm-hmm. is... He is going to be a sensational footballer. Um, when he, you know, when he's only twenty-one, it's crazy to think about. It. You know, yeah. when you see the likes of of Jez, a year age group below him, and how further along Michael Elise is. It's it's chalk and cheese, really, to 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 the talent at the moment. Obviously, Jez will go on and have a fantastic career, hopefully at Crystal Palace. But but Michael Elise is there, producing it week in week out in the Premier League. Um, I was fearful he was always going to go to Chelsea because. They're building something very exciting there. You know, they're breaking British transfer records for midfielders. They've got some great young players there. Chapman Worker, um, you know, Nicholas Jackson's look really good. Uh, mm. Reese James, it's, it's, it's a really good squad with a great manager. So, you know, for Michael Elise, who wants to probably go on and win Ballon d'Ors in his career, you, you can tell that's how driven he is. You know, yeah. it's not, you know, I get people talk about how he is in interviews and things like that, but this, you can tell when he's on the pitch, that's when he's his most focused. He doesn't celebrate goals. He doesn't do any of that. He just wants to get the job done and he delivers. Uh, so once Wilfred Zaha turns down that deal, I would have done exactly what Steve Parrish has done, going off of Michael Elise, a huge wage increase to keep him at the football club. Even if it's just for another year, mm-hmm. we've come out winners in this because we get to see what he's going to do for us next season alongside Ebro Chiesa. So it's... um. I was sat in the press conference room when the news broke and uh, nobody had that much of an idea that it was going on any, any some people. And uh, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was brilliant. It was just, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great, great news and, and a great way to show that Crystal Palace do have some, some pull over, over the biggest sides in the, in the division. You know, if you're talking about the fact that Roy Hodgson doesn't, might not necessarily have the pull that Patrick Vieira did. Michael Elise, I think, probably didn't want to come to the club originally when we first went for him, when, when Roy was in charge the first time around. So Patrick Vieira, he spoke to him in, uh, in his native, in, in French and stuff, and, and that over Zoom, and that helped him to persuade him to come. But Michael Elise looks like he's taken this game to another level under Roy Hodgson, and has enjoyed, he's become our main creative spark. Um, 
our main sort of goal scorer, goal assisting threat, especially. So it's uh, it's a pleasure to watch him play at the moment under Roy, and I, I can't wait to see how he's going to do in the uh, in the season to come. Yeah, I mean, it kind of devastates me a little bit that we'll never get to see a, or most likely never get to see a full Michael Elise season for us. No. <laughs> um, with the Vieira season being sort of easing him in, his injury last year and his slightly worse injury this year. So, yeah, a huge win for the football club, having Elise for another season. Um, I think he probably will be one of those players it's talked about um, when it comes to the Ballon d'Or. Um in a couple of years time, maybe a little bit more, but you know, he's got creativity for days. He's getting physically stronger in his game as well. He's learned to take a man on. Um, we saw it, especially at Leeds where he left Nonto on the floor mm. and Wilfred Nonto is by no means weak nor um, slow. Uh, so that was a testament to how well he's adapted to Premier League football. Um, he's got him. He'll go on to play for, for Real Madrid or Barcelona, won't he? I mean, there's yeah, or Manchester City under Pep, which mm. terrifying prospect. To, yeah, whichever one he goes to, he will just become a superstar. He is an unbelievable footballer, and uh, it's crazy to think how much we paid for for him for Reading. And I guess the good thing from this is that is that if we have increased his his release clause to a certain amount, that Reading get a, a an extra percentage of that now, and it'll be a higher percentage. So it's uh, yeah. Yeah, it works out well for all parties, doesn't it? Exactly. Um, Michael Lise just has so many qualities uh, and I can't wait to see them in a Palace shirt this season. And honestly, I will follow his career um, once he leaves us because he is such an enjoyable footballer to watch play. Mm. Um, he is an addition to any team, a quality addition to any team. And I think he would do incredibly well under Pep, but I do worry about... Um, sort of the way Pep uses wingers. We sort of saw Grealish in this more diminished tactical role. And I'd be devastated if uh, Elise lost um, the license to be creative um, of a player as he is. Um, so hopefully when he does move on, he moves to a team where he gets um, to make the most of his talents. Um. So the Palace winger situation now, um, we've brought in Matthias Franza um, from Bodafogo for 20 million or so pounds with uh, 10 million in add-ons, uh, one of which is a Ballon d'Or um, clause, which is kind of funny, but I guess we must have faith in him. Um, that in combination with the relatively... Um, high fee makes you wonder if he actually has been brought in to be a first choice winger for us uh, replacing Wilfred Zaha especially with the um, number 11 shirt being bestowed to him uh, with all of its legends attached to it um, what are your thoughts? Oh yeah he'll, he'll definitely play yeah there's no there's no two ways about it he will he will play for, for us yeah. this season um, yeah injuries permitting obviously but once uh, I think the, the, the hierarchy are pretty confident that once Roy Hodgson sees uh, Mateus Francher in training, that Mateus Francher will become a starter in, for this football club. Um, they have huge amounts of faith in him. Yeah, it's kind of similar whenever Richieze joins. You know, people are probably wondering because of the way Roy had to, mm. to set up because of the lack of funding. You know, is this guy going to get into our squads? And I'm pretty sure he impressed so much in his 
first week of training that it made it impossible for him not to play. So it's um, all Francia has to do, do is, is show that he's he's a match for the likes of Joel Ward and Tyree Mitchell in training and he can attack them with pace and uh, he'll be a, an, an excellent addition to our squads. And as we were talking about at the start of the pod, our bench yesterday and our squad's paper thin. So there's 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 nobody else really that if we're, one nil down and man advantage. Mateus Francia will come on over John Kamani Gordon or Jezon Raksaki. So it's uh, yeah, I, I fully expect him to be to become a regular starter at some point throughout the season. Obviously, it's he's got this 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 injury. I think it's like a stress sort of hamstring injury type thing. Mm. So um, I'm pretty sure we'll see him around after the uh, international break. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully Roy gets to work with him for a little bit during that two week period and. Uh, and he bursts onto the scene. Yeah, uh, he's an incredibly exciting player, and we have immense amounts of faith in him. Faith in him, and I'm incredibly excited to see him start playing for us. Um, he played in a variety of positions in Brazil. Um, I almost thought of him more as an attacking mid, sort of centre forward player. But I think the general gist seems to be we want him to play on the wing. Um, do you have any sort of ideas about where we could see him? Uh, initially, I think we'll see him on the on the left. Um, I noticed yesterday we're playing more, almost like a four four one one with Eze as the kind of second striker that links it all together. Um, obviously, in, in transition, that's a four two three one. Um, I think the the initial idea for the first couple of seasons, first season and a half, however however long it is, is for Mateus Franchard to play as our our left sided uh, forward, and then. Uh, as he gets used to the Premier League, maybe start to see what he can do through the middle. Um, mm. I think that might be the thought process, but yeah. who, who, who knows? Who, who knows how he's going to adapt? I just uh, just hope he can stay injury free and he can get a good run at it. Run at it. That's the uh, that's the main concern at the moment. Yeah, I think you might be spot on there. Um, there was a uh, journalist who focused on Brazilian football who said France would need some time to um, adjust to the rigors and demands of Premier League football, and that is probably what we'll see from him this season is sort of adapting to the way that we play um, in the Premier League. Um, and he'll playing him on the left gives him an opportunity to learn how to take a man on um, at Premier League level um, and sort of bulk up in a way that we saw at least they do. You know, he now tracks back. He's now a lot stronger, uh, as I was saying. But because of France's ability to play centrally, um, I think once he's gone through that transformation or has developed well on that journey, we could definitely see him playing off a striker because Roy does love to set up with the typical two banks of four. Um, there's no doubt about that. But even under another manager, if we had, you know, a strong number nine, a target man player, um, someone that Eddie, I think Edward can be, if he's given the time I've noticed him, doing a better job at dropping back, then France uh, could be that sort of false nine or player playing off of him, which would give Eze more license to roam around off the left. I know there's been a lot of criticism about Eze at left wing, which I completely agree with, but we also saw him star there really well um, in the 4-4-2 formation under Roy. So I wouldn't rule it out. I think having France definitely gives us more tactical versatility um, for sure and a lot more options, which is something, like you said, in Arsenal, we've really struggled with. Um, I don't think I ever want to see Jeffrey Shopper, um winger again in my lifetime. So 
you know, we're, we're, we're he's, he's a great, great, great utility for listening. He's a fun pound for pound, one of our best Premier League signings ever. From absolutely from what we've got from him, and he's a he's he's actually very good in midfield. I think he's, I think even he's another one under Roy who was excellent towards the second half of last season, and he's looked pretty good towards the start of this one. So, um, but I agree, he isn't he is not a winger in the Premier League by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, Dean Henderson is a player we're being linked with at the moment on loan. Um, just very briefly, what are your thoughts on him uh, as a goalkeeper and how would he sort of stack up against Sam Johnston in your in your book? Uh, as a goalkeeper, exceptional. Um, exceptional talent, exceptional goalkeeper in a great age. Uh, you know, if it is this loan with a option to buy or, or, or whatever it's, it's, it's uh, being reported as, then it's... Uh, yeah, you know, you're, you're, I thought the goalkeeper department was the best it's ever been last season. I think this takes it to another level. Uh, Sam Johnson and Dean Henderson battling it out for the no, number one shot uh, shirt is uh, it's pretty pretty mouthwatering, really. When you think about <laughs> it, these are these are two goalkeepers at sort of the peak of their powers, and I wonder whether that I might have been running through Sam Johnson's head last night when he when he dived into Enketia. Granted, it wouldn't have happened if Palace hadn't switched off uh, from defending the set piece, but. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a very bold statement of intent from Crystal Palace about they're not settling basically for for what they've got. Um, granted, I still think we need to improve our forward areas by by, by quite a bit, but um, you know, bringing Dean Henderson in is a real statement of intent. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, um, three players I think on top of Dean Henderson that we would in an uh, in an ideal world, go for. Um, for you, who would your ideal three be? Uh, ideal three, what players to bring in for the rest of the season? Yeah. Uh, Dean Dean Henderson, uh, a striker. Who the striker is, I'm not. Yeah, that's not an impossible one to call. Percent sure. I don't trust it's... the Ian Atcher links either. You don't. Okay, I, I think I think it might be something in that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, but, um, you know, if Palace think they can get better, better then they'll go and get better. And probably someone who may not necessarily be on the sort of wages that, that might affect the wage structure. So it's, uh, yeah, uh, I'd also like to see another wide player. So Jezra and Ratsaki can go and play a season of championship football, yeah. excel, come back and be considered as a starter in our Premier League squad. That is... Uh, that is my main desire for the rest of this this summer transfer window. Fantastic. I have no idea who, who it could be though. <laughs> but uh, you know, we we with Lewis Hall falling apart, we've still got another loan spot. Uh, if we can utilise that, or if we leave one open for January, uh, you know, I quite like I quite like it when we use them both because you're just supplementing you're supplementing your squad even further. So hopefully they they have a plan. I'm sure they do. So yeah, the Lewis Hall saga. Um was obviously not great for us as a club. Uh, sort of got screwed around a bit by Chelsea. Um, but at the same time, you can't really blame Lewis Hall for going to his boyhood club. Um, it was tough for us because we put out um, a couple of statements um, sort of saying that Lewis Hall was close because we'd heard that from our sources. And obviously... Um, you were the first to report it, if I'm not mistaken, with um, the previously mentioned Fabrizio Romano um, 
giving you credit and such on on his tweets. So how was that all like for you? And yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't lie. I was, uh, I, you you never like you never actually expect it. It's like one of those. Uh, I guess it's like for for footballers uh, making their debut, or I don't know. It's that sort of feeling. It's a it's a very proud moment. Um, I mean, my, my all I reported was that Palace were, were working on the deal, and it looked like Hall was going to sign a a new a new contract to Chelsea before coming out on loan to to Palace, which was the plan. Uh, and people were kind of pretty hopeful that it was still going to happen, even even after the Sheffield United game. But um, he's ultimately ended up going to Newcastle, his boyhood club. Um, and, and thinking about how it's all played out, I'm pretty pretty bored of sort of developing other people's players. Um, you know, if we, yeah. we 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 go around this cycle of of taking the likes of Conor Gallagher, Ruben Loftus Cheek, you know, especially from Chelsea, taking these players on loan fall in love with them uh, and then we're, we're looking to replace them with the exact same player for, for the next couple of seasons and you get yourself stuck in this cycle. Um, I don't necessarily think that Lewis Hall was going to come in and actually play in defence. I don't think he was going to be, he was going to be back up to Tyreek Mitchell, but I think it, Palace saw him more as a midfielder bursting forward as a Jeffrey Schlupp type than, mm-hmm. than, than anything. Um it was a shame it didn't work out, but ultimately if it's left us open with the chance of taking Dean Henderson on loan for the season, uh, who's guaranteed to be a regular starter for this football club, I believe, after uh, after a few training sessions. And uh, ultimately, Palace probably worked out in Palace's favour. You know, Lewis Hall's probably going to go on and have an excellent career at the, at the very top. Um, a very talented player who's remarkably mature for his age. You know, 18 to... Yeah. To be playing for Chelsea's first team with the abundant of talent they've got, it's uh, it's a real credit to him. So, uh, shame we didn't get him, but yeah, you move on to the next one. It is football. <laughs> Nothing you can't dwell, can't dwell on too long for things in this game for, for more than a few minutes, and then it's on to the next because it all happens so quickly. Yeah, um, I think you're pretty spot on. Lewis Hall is a remarkable player for an 18 year old. Um, makes me feel a little bit useless. Um, considering we are the same age um so yeah being sort of a football journalist um do you find that you're more busy around transfer windows or um do you sort of have the same sort of output um just of a different content style during um the rest of the year oh mate it doesn't stop honestly it's uh my screen time is is horrendous (laughs) um but not not a million miles off. It's not. It's not as bad. But uh, I think he's got a team. I think he's got a team of people on that phone. So uh, yeah, mind, I'm on the phone all day. Basically, it's always just checking things out, uh, seeing if there's updates, what's going on, what can you write, what can't you write. It's uh, it's it's an incredibly hectic job, and I I didn't appreciate how much work journalists, especially in football, because it's the most competitive. Uh, and probably rewarding uh, area of journalism, I'd say that and politics. Um, I don't, I don't, I didn't, I never realised how much work these people do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're they're top top professionals at what they do, and I think most of all, a lot of them care. You know, if you, a lot of them are usually fans of the club they report on, or you know, I I had no affiliation towards AFC Wimbledon whatsoever, apart from the fact I don't live a million miles away from them um, <laughs> before I started covering and. And now I found myself, you know, getting to know the players, the management on a personal level. And it's, 
you develop a soft spot for for these people you want to make sure that you get the correct information out there so so um because you know people depend on you um it's 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 not in a life-saving sort of way but people do depend on you for the news so it's uh there's that sort of weight on the shoulders of it um but it's uh it's an unbelievably competitive industry it's really enjoyable like mm. i love i love i love every aspect of it um I'm a Crystal Palace fan, so I get to sit there and speak to Roy Hodgson after a game, interview Joel Wood in the mix zone after Sheffield United. It's uh, it's an honour, and uh, I just hope I can, uh, you know, I hope I, I do write sometimes if people don't write some things that I write every now and then. That's that's the main thing. You do, man. People people really do respect you uh, as a journalist. I think I think you have really gained a reputation as being a decent um, person and a reliable. Um, journalist who consistently puts out high quality work i have you, I appreciate I, it. <laughs> I have been completely drawn in um by the elephant in the room after you mentioned sort of the need to get things right which is the entire michael lise release cause saga which has now finally been explained in a piece by uh david ornstein and matt wisdom um mm. so i guess i have to ask do you feel like journalists get maybe a little bit well, I say maybe a little bit too much flack from um, sort of football supporters um, for the work that they do, considering how tough it is and how many hours you have to commit to the job. Uh, I can I can see both sides of it. Um, you know, so sometimes it's it's taken ridiculously too far. Um, you Absolutely, know, the sort of abuse people get. Um, yeah, at the other side of the coin, I guess. If, if you get something wrong, I'm sure I know I'm, I'm going to have to experience it one day. I'm going to get something wrong and I'm going to have to take it on the chin because, um, as I've mentioned, this, this industry is so competitive. It changes probably every five minutes. Like we saw with the Michael Elise thing, you, everyone was getting everything from everywhere. And you had a sort of smorgasbord of, of different opinions on it all because everyone wanted to get their own story out. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's fiercely competitive. So to, to get something wrong is just yeah it's 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 tough i can imagine it, it's tough um but at the same time fans fans rely on these people to to, to bring them accurate news all the time so you know i was a fan once too and uh once. You know, i used to yeah well no, I, st- I still have i still have <laughs> uh just 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 uh just i can't celebrate too much in the press box when we score that's the main thing um but uh yeah i was a fan too and i was constantly checking you know who, who was it back in the day you know Dom Firefield at the Athletic or um, even even Matt Matt Woosden was 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 kind of my was my guy who, who kind of you know during lockdown reading his articles inspired me to to start my own sort of thing so you know these these people are, are highly respected you know, yeah. excellent at what they do um it's just a really tough industry that's what it boils down to and it's uh you never switch off you never ever switch off working in this industry it's um even while we're doing this you know my phone is constantly going and it's it's things that might not even ever get out there but it's just little updates or information that i've asked for during the day so it's uh, mm. yeah it's, it's fun i love it i do love it yeah so you mentioned um you would hate to get it wrong obviously it's every journalist's worst nightmare to put out a piece of information that they'd later have to retract um in terms of responsibility, um, when that information does go out and it's proved later to be false, who does that fall? And do you sort of, I assume you sort of take responsibility as the journalist to publish it, but 
do you feel um sort of let down by where you've gotten that information from does that damage relationships what's what's that what's that whole process like i guess you wouldn't know if you haven't been through it but uh yes it's uh at the end of the day if you're putting your name on it every single piece of work i do i want to make sure it's to the best of my ability because i'm putting my name on it you know yeah let's take it for example at the weekend um i i forgot to add the three and you know it was two nil when i wrote the Wimbledon match report sort of thing game after ended up being three now I've got to change it and someone commented underneath and uh no I took that as uh room for improvement sort of thing you know I still I still count myself as quite young and in, in this in this game I'm, I'm by nowhere near by my sort of imagination anywhere near uh you know the levels of, of other people in in, in this industry um yeah you, you ultimately if your name's on it you take the the, I guess the brunt of of the reaction that comes if it isn't right, um, but it's tough. Like like I said, it's uh, and ultimately when you're working for for companies, you you have a responsibility of of making sure that these companies are never liable for anything. You know, if I was just a fan and I was putting out stuff I heard, um, you know, I, I'd have no I'd have no sort of person or company that I had to protect at the same time so if me putting out stuff's wrong all the time people are going to think that the South London press is wrong all the time because yeah. I'm doing it uh, so that's that's my main concern I want to make sure that my papers is well represented and my sports editor is well represented and that I, I give a good account of myself when I possibly can yeah I mean right there is what fans have to remember is that everyone has you know lives beyond um what they're putting out on Twitter, right? You know, you've got to remember there is a person on the other end of the account. There's someone who's working hard to meet a deadline, someone who is trying their utmost to do their best for both themselves and the uh, the organization that they're representing. Yeah, I, I, will, I will say there's some fantastic people who cover Palace. Like, Matt is unbelievable. <laughs> what he does, like, he helps me out massively. Alex Howell, unbelievable again. You know, BBC. Yeah, yeah, and Ed Malian and and uh, Dom Firefield when when they used to dabble in it, it was awe inspiring to what they could do. So it's uh, yeah, some fa- I'm sure I've missed out a few people as well, but there's some fantastic people who cover this football club. We're, we're lucky. Yeah, we are. There are some absolutely wonderful journalists um, in our community who try their absolute best to get things um, as spot on as they can. Um, so a bit of a question for you, I think people always be curious um and let, please let me know if there's something you can't really discuss um by the way okay. uh when it comes to sort of finding sort of sources and people to um ask questions about um the club let's focus on crystal palace as an example how does that whole relationship start how do you um build those connections and maintain them in terms of building sources and things along those lines yeah um I think I think uh, it's tough. It's, it's tough to answer, but uh, as as it, as I've found with let's say Wimbledon, the longer the longer I've been around it, um, probably that probably the longer uh, you start to get to know people. Uh, that's probably the the best way I could put it, and not give too much away at the same time. Mm-hmm. But a good a good journalist is only as good as his as his sources very diplomatic answer i I, re- I respect it i respect it uh i'm gonna ask and follow that up with um how does that make you sort of feel about the people that claim to be sort of in the know in inverted commas uh on platforms such as twitter do you sort of 
look down on them? Can you sort of laugh to yourself no, knowing that, um, you know, they, they're just sort of making things up on the spot or, you know, what's, what's your sort of take on, on that kind of, uh, figure? Uh, no, it's, it's, if, if I was hearing stuff and I was a fan, I'd, I'd put it out there yeah. for, for sure. A hundred percent. Cause there's, you know, there's no, there's no, I've still got a day job or I've still got things to do family members. It doesn't impact me if I was, wasn't a journalist anyway, if I wasn't right. But, mm. um, you know, people, people pick up information. People have mates, people have family members who hear stuff and, yeah. you know, if, I want to hear it as well. If they've got stuff to say to put it out there, you know, it's it's interesting for me. It helps me. It might give me a, a good steer in the right direction. So, no, I never I never uh, think think badly of people who are in the know and stuff. It's uh, you know, it's it's great. And sometimes you might even get to start to talk to those people and we go back and forth with them about things and you know, find out you have similar connection, uh, not connection, but there's you know things in common and uh, and develop good good personal relationships on that front. So it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's nice. It's 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 a it's, like I said, the industry is so competitive, mate. It's uh, yeah, you know, I'm sure I'm sure while we've been on this, there's something out there that I've that I've probably missed out on, but it's just the way it goes. So yeah, it's uh, you get used to it after a while. The nature of the beast, yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean, like I said, sort of, we've put out a few things um that we call news uh, every now and then and it's something we're trying to transition to um we've spent the last couple of years um building up um relationships with people um who um you know have connections close to the club and we refuse to put out anything that isn't triple quadruple quintuple checked um and so far we have a pretty good record bar the Lewis Hall thing, which of course was close um, and yeah, kind of was, no yeah. one saw it coming. We, we have a pretty much hundred percent record um, in terms of things like Chet Corre and um, say it's Francia. Um, but you still end up getting, um, you know, criticism for calling something first. And I feel like it's one of those, uh industries where it's such high risk and often so little reward in that if you get something right people remember it until you get something wrong which they'll remember forever i feel like credibility is hard to win and easily lost uh in this industry do you ever feel sort of i don't want to like hit you with a personal question um during this <laughs> but like is that something that kind of daunts you in a way uh I guess so. I guess so. It's. Um, I'm honestly asking for my to, mental health if I yeah, want to get into it. You try, you try not to think too much about it. I mean, like I said, in football, there's no love lost. There's no. Ultimately, I think the biggest thing that I've had to learn is that when you do get an exclusive and you get that sort of five minute buzz from it afterwards, it's it's the best feeling you'll probably ever experience in your life. I can't. I can't. I can't say. You know, I'm sure. Mm. I, hopefully, one day I have children and a family and. And everything, you know, works out for me in some respect. But I can't say I probably had a better feeling than, than that 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 initial hit you get from uh, from an exclusive. It's it's it is the best feeling in the world. And uh, I don't think don't think I've, it's like I guess it's like people who are addicted to roller coasters or or something. You're constantly chasing that buzz, and it's yeah. um it's 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 brilliant. Uh, but that that fear of failure. Um, 
I think you learn most from from your mistakes. I've made tons of mistakes. You know, I never I never thought I'd be in the position I am today when I when I left school with some pretty mediocre A levels and pretty terrible GCSEs. So it's uh it's just it's just about working hard, staying consistent and uh and saying yes to a lot of things, putting yourself in the correct positions to uh to say yes. And one after a while you you develop such a, a thick skin anyway with football, it's uh you take it on the chin if I guess if someone's criticizing you. But um, not everyone's gonna like what what you do. That's just it's, I think it's just the way life goes. I'll be honest, you sold it to me. Uh your description of that buzz, <laughs> that feeling is sort of made me feel um really happy about what I'm doing and makes me feel like I'm on the yeah, right path. You are mate, just just keep it up and uh honestly if you ever need anything, just just let me know. I'm more than happy to to help. I really appreciate it. Uh, I guess before we say goodbye, I'm going to ask you uh, one last question, which is uh, where do you see us finishing this season? Uh, well, I think we'll sign some players before the before the window comes to an end. Uh, a couple of the teams in this division this year don't look particularly great. Um, mm, yeah. Well, I'm I'm sure if you hadn't worked it out by now, I'm probably quite uh, an advocate of Roy Hodgson, so I'm uh, <laughs> I'm probably you know someone who maybe goes against the grain for for my sort of generation a little bit. Perhaps, um, but I'm with uh, you. Yeah, it's you know he offers us stability, and that is incredibly hard to find in the Premier League. Um, so I, I think we have an unbelievable base of a squad. We just we have to find some magic at the top end of the pitch. There's no getting away from that, and if we can add it. Striker, another winger, uh, a top ten finishes and isn't out of our grasp. We have a very, very good squad. Check the core against Declan Rice last night. Showed me he's a hundred million pound player. Yeah, by uh, exactly. Michael. So it's uh, we have a very good squad. Um, we just need just need that 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 magic and uh, and we could do well this year. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Edmund. Um, thank you very Pleasure. much for listening. Uh, everybody if you want to uh, hear more from Edmund Brack he's around on Twitter at Edmund Brack and writes to the South London Press covering both Crystal Palace and AFC Wimbledon thank you so much for coming Edmund it's been beyond a pleasure to talk to you uh, and to find out a little bit more about this crazy world that I think every football fan wish they knew more about yeah pleasure thank you very much for having me on appreciate it